Teammate Radio is brought to you by Peaceful Warriors and Teammate Children's Stories, available on Amazon. We are Peaceful Warriors! Good beginning of the weekend, teammates. I mean, we're close to the beginning of the weekend. I mean, it's it's Friday after a while. And, And by the way, don't freak out. And this is in particular for parents. So parents, you're going to want to stay on this. You're going to want to listen to this because we're parents ourselves. And we went through this. Like we we went through what we're going to talk about. There's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of unknowns. Is my kid learning the right things at the right time? Are they behaving the right way at the right times? What's developmentally appropriate? What's age appropriate? There's all kinds of misinformation out there about it. There's all kinds of like extremely high standards out there that parents feel like they have to keep to because they heard of all these extremely high standards. We're going to talk about that. And yeah, we're going to talk about that. We're going to try to cut through the misinformation and get down to the nitty gritty of things that can be expected and goals to have for different age groups. And we're also going to talk about how every kid develops differently. And so there's going to be differences for every child. They are all genetically built differently. They all have different experiences as they grow. And goodness knows we have had impacts and issues with people trying to say that uh, certain things near the kids were uh, not appropriate, uh, acting appropriate for their age or certain things like that. We see this stuff all the time. We were accused of that with our own son before. And the fact of the matter is, is there's a lot of misconceptions about this. Like people don't understand how the brain develops at these young ages. So we're going to get to talking about that or she's going to get to talking about that. Talk she about she knows nice a lot more box. of it than I do. And I, and I haven't slept for a night. So y'all do not want me talking too long, but I am going to go ahead and give us a couple of announcements. The biggest local party of the year. We throw it for Halloween. We give away 25,000 pieces of candy in just three hours. It's not a trunk or treat. It's not a boring come up. Trick or treat, can I have some candy? Uh, no strangers' houses or any of that. It's very simple. We have our staff out here. Uh, we're always looking for volunteers as well or other businesses that want to come out and run a game or donate candy or whatever else. And we'll advertise your business or whatever it is you do as sponsoring for the event. We usually have anywhere from 250 families to 500 families come out every year it is not an uncommon sight for kids to bring entire pillowcases and if you kids are not leaving with enough candy to last your whole family like six months to a year then i don't know what to tell you because we are giving away that much right we are giving away twenty-five thousand pieces of candy there and we would have loved to do it on saturday october 29th that was our preferred date that we'd originally set but uh, the city didn't collaborate with us this year. They went ahead and set theirs, and I guess they're doing a different type of event than they normally do. They're not doing their trunk or treat either. They're taking a card from us and trying to do an event inspired by our event, which I think is cool, right? Like, take it for the compliment. That yeah, it's a compliment. And so we put ours on the Friday so that you guys, who have to spend all that money on costumes and all that stuff, can have two Halloween nights, right? Get your money's worth out of it. You can come to ours, get as much candy as you ever need, and then you can also go to the cities on Saturday. Ours will be on Friday the 28th. Theirs will be on Saturday. And then you can go to the cities on Saturdays and you can see us out there too because we're going to be giving out like another eight or ten thousand pieces of candy out there like we plan on doing things our way even at the city's event it's going to be big we're going to have two or three of our funnest games out there it is going to be a blast now for our current students i do want to also mention we do black belt tests only two times a year we have one of those coming up I believe we have a couple of people eligible, but I think there's only one that's intending to test, and that is our karate Nana herself. Nana, who is on Facebook. Who is on Facebook. Uh, She's in our group. Nana, if you guys don't know, she's the moderator of our 
team uh, Peace Warriors teammate forum Facebook group, our positive community forum group. Nana is our moderator there. If you're wondering, uh, name on there is Shirley Stapleton. That's who we're talking about. And she will be going for her third degree. Oh, she's so nervous. I don't know why she does so. She does so phenomenal. Like you know, you know, uh, but, she's a good boxer. But you know, we've always said that if you feel ready when you're going up for a test, you're not ready. You're not ready. If you think you're ready, you're not ready. Like I've had a couple of different students in the past, two in particular, that felt like they were ready, told us they were ready, and everything to go. And those were the only two that I failed. Uh, the two that said they were ready, I'd, I'd say, come in for some extra training time. Come in and go for some no, runs no, with me. Come in and do it. No, 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 I'm good. I've been training on my own. I've been doing this stuff, blah, 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 blah. And then they come into the test and can't even pass the pre-qualifiers because they either, A, don't know the forms, B, don't have the cardio to handle the sparring and the run, or C, like what happened last time, we had someone who decided that their goal was to set all the records for our fitness hour and they wanted to set all the records and do it faster than anybody else had ever done which they kind of did but then they didn't finish the test they were not able to complete it in the time given they took an extra 40 minutes to complete it because they blew themselves out super early which is not what it's about right and uh so their records don't count because they didn't complete the actual requirements all the way through so yeah no so we're gonna cheer on miss karate nana when she does that there will be a private portion obviously we do a private portion that's the hard portion where they do the hard fighting the hard sparring there will be tears there will be blood there will be probably mine she always makes me bleed at every she single one generally makes me bleed too uh there will be there will be crying, there will be upsetness, there will be bruises, there will be all kinds of things. And, not from and then once that's <laughs> probably against us, and once that's all said and done, we will do a two, three hour public portion that everybody is welcome to come to where she'll be putting on demonstrations and showing us some things that she wants to show that she's learned over the years into the crowd and things like that. And after her demonstrations will be a ceremony. Now, of course, she has to pass the pre-qualifiers first. Yes. And she's taking on a harder challenge for the pre-qualifiers than she's ever done before. She's intending to do a full two-mile run, 700 kicks, hard kicks, and all of her forms plus her push-up and sit-up requirements all in an hour and a half, which is the, 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 the most she's ever taken on in that amount of time. So yeah, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, it's and, a lot. So we're going to be cheering and, for her. Yep, and I know there's a lot of you guys who are going to want to come to the public portion. I will tell you now, the public portion time will not be announced until the week of the test. Right. We need to set the date, the time, start time. We have the date set, but we need to set the start time. And she needs to pass her, And she needs to pass her pre-qualifiers first. And that public portion, if you come 10 minutes early, do not expect the doors to be open. You can wait in your car because we do not open the doors until the public portion starts and so you're more than welcome to come early but you'll have to sit in your car through the end of the private portion and we will open the doors and you can come in for that it's always a fun thing to watch it's really a big life-changing event for people and uh, so I think that's awesome so let's get back to our original topic which was don't freak out especially yes. if you're a parent um, I'm gonna kind of open it a little bit for you so many parents expect or don't know what to expect when it comes to milestones at different ages and what should they they should be expecting their child to know or not know or do or not be able to do and we were no different and <laughs> and and doctors gave us lists right of motor skill development things like that and what we found was when we really did research into it is that those aren't required milestones not every kid will hit those milestones 
They're just things to work. And if your kid is meeting half of those milestones, then that's fantastic. That's phenomenal. You're doing good. No kid is meant to meet all of those milestones they give you with those different things. Kids develop differently in different ways. Some kids develop socially first. Some kids develop more um, verbally, uh, verbally first. first. Some kids de develop more tactile skills first, right? And there's they're, they're, they all develop differently and different rates, motor development-wise. But there are a few things we have as goals for kids in different ages of our program, which is what she's gonna talk about. But I do wanna say, like, if you're not sure if something your child is doing is appropriate for their age, more often than not, it probably is, right? Like, we got accused at one point, with our son being very, very young, of him uh, uh, exhibiting inappropriate behaviors. But when we talked to child psychologists and child behavioral therapists and stuff like that, we found out, no, that's entirely normal behavior because he was of the age of potty training. He was learning bathroom etiquette and, and things along those lines bodies, and about yeah. people's bodies. And so it was not, it's not unheard of for kids in that development stage to ask questions to people to, uh, you know, like, talk to other kids about it and and uh you know use different terminology and things to see if other kids are learning the same thing and at, at that age there's no shame you guys know that if you're a parent you know this kids have no shame at that age they they refuse to shut the bathroom door even in a public place right and uh that kind of even thing here. yeah even here it, it's it's happened uh that actually that actually is one of the things that led to us getting a bunch of accusations several years ago but it is entire developmentally normal for a kid between the ages of three and even up to six um, even all the way up to six that is that is that is that is normal developmental behavior so don't freak out if you know your kid is smart that does not mean that that, that you should expect them to be able to do certain things that other kids their age might be able to do right because they may be intelligent in different ways Stop taking off I'm taking her stuff. I give up. Stop I'm done. I'm walking away. Opened it. I'm walking away. Okay. So I, I over the years, I've pretty much found, I, I, I think, because this seems to be a recurring theme for me, that my purpose in life is to tell you parents not to freak out about your kids. Okay? I'm your back. kids are fine. Your kids are fine. And your husband is going to act up from time to time, too, and that's completely I, normal. I said because your kids, including your children and your husbands or your wives or whatever you've got going on, adult, your kids are fine. Men keep our immature straight probably till death. It's like we try to be more and more mature to a certain age, and then we're like, ah, forget it, and we go more and more immature and degrade as we get older. That's There's a reason normal. when people ask me how many kids I have, I say <laughs> I have my son and my husband. I can't keep track of myself. Yeah, so... I, and I find myself, and I know us here on the front floor especially, because we are dealing with the 24, the 2-year-old, the 24-month slash 2-year-olds, all the way up through the 6 and some of our neuro neurodivergent 7-year-olds um, in those younger kids' classes. And I find the, in that two different we, programs, in two different programs, yes, of course, um, I find that we find ourselves saying a lot, your kid is fine, don't panic. Take, take the ashamed look off your face. Mm -hmm. It's okay. I would add um, the same. Like I teach the seven and eights on the mm -hmm. other side, the seven and eight beginners. And um, sometimes we have someone stay in the class up to nine years old. And sometimes I have people going, well, you know, I know they're a little uncoordinated or they're this or they're that. Right. Totally normal. I'll, I'll talk about the seven and eight-year-olds later, yeah. though. Yeah. Uh, I actually have had a few discussions over the last probably four weeks um, with people where they're like, well, my four, five, six-year-old, they're they're losing their focus. They're just having been focused the last few weeks. And they can only focus for three seconds at a time. And I'm like, I know your kid is smart. 
I know your kid is intelligent. I know that they knew their ABCs as soon as they could talk, and I know they can say all their colors plus every other weird random color in the rainbow, and I know they know all their shapes, and they can guess what? They can add to, and they can read about 30 sight words, and it's really awesome. I know this, and it's fantastic. However, emotions are still new. Right? <laughs> Emotions are still new. The world is still new to them. They're experimenting with their surroundings, right? The world is completely new to them. And so why do they lose focus? Because they get excited about everything. And that should that should as a parent, that should that should that should uh that should make you feel good. Like that your kid's excited and you might, well, you need to focus on this, but I'm excited about this. Let your kid be excited about something else for a minute. Well the thing is is that they might so just because they can absorb information and regurgitate it to you at various ages does not mean that their brain is any more than four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Four, four to six-year-olds do not, and I made this mistake, you should not ever expect your four to six-year-old to retain information. You can expect them to kind of learn some things and be able to regurgitate it and copy. Like that's the, that, at that age, that's what they do. It. They copy you can write an A, they'll copy an A. You say it's an A, they'll say it's an A, and they'll learn to recognize those things. But do not expect your your three, four, five year old to to always be able to retain information. The parts of the brain that develop for retaining information don't really begin to come around until six, seven, eight, nine years old. So just yeah. want to point that out while you're yeah. going on. And so it it doesn't mean that their brain is any less than three, four, five, and six. By so, the way, by the way, the part of the brain that retains information for long-term memory does not develop until the ages of 9 to 11. A lot of people don't realize that. That that ability to retain information for long-term, like remember it for a week, does not, and I watched it happen in Axel. It was like overnight he could suddenly just remember everything. That doesn't develop until 9, 10, 11 years old. It just doesn't. Don't expect yeah. it to. And the thing is about the brain, too, is that you can't think... Brains don't actually conceptualize in true long-term more than one to two days until about the preteen ages. And yep. then it's a couple weeks. Yep. So by the time someone's 18, we're expecting them to plan their lives out or plan the next five years, and their brains don't actually conceptualize at, that true amount of time. At 18, the brains develop to a point to be able to conceptualize about a year, maybe, maybe two. Maybe. Maybe two. I would even say six months to a year. Keep and in mind, not that the human longer. brain doesn't fully develop generally in women till the ages of 21 to 23, and in men, the ages of 23 to 25. I would just say 23 to 25 is a good. Yeah, uh, for yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, getting back to my point, um, your child will always lose focus, even if they're excited, and especially if they're excited. Sometimes they'll be doing an activity they love, and they will. Get staticky. Someone's I, asking to join us. I, don't I, know what I that like means. to call it staticky, where they'll be sitting there and that we know that they're having fun, but all of a sudden they're kind of doing this. You might notice your husband doing the same thing. <laughs> Except mine, he likes to talk a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and that's perfectly fine. I actually had a conversation with a parent where they're like, I've been really frustrated with my kid for the last couple times they've come in because they're not focused. Therefore, and our son, between four and four and a half, did this with his focus. But but look at, look at him fine. now. Look at him now. And even when, if you knew him when he was five or six, some people would look at him when he was really focused on a time when he was really focused because he'd get excited about martial arts and tricks and stuff. And he'd get really focused. And he would be able to perform physically 
far better than most kids his age. And they look at that and they look at that and go, well, he's so advanced. And then and then not realize that he loses focus. He lost focus in those classes just as much as any of the other kids did. It was just it was, you know, he lost focus all the time, too. It was just that in the moment that he would be excited about a physical activity, he put us all into it. That didn't mean he wouldn't get distracted from it. And so why was he able to get as physically able as he was at five, six, seven years old? Well, it was because we didn't we didn't push him to work on those physical things when he wasn't excited about it. If he came in and, and his class was going on and he wasn't excited about physical things, he didn't have to be in class. We never forced him to be in class. Like, well, you can go over there and, and do something else. You can go play with those kids over there. And so we didn't force him to be in class. And usually days he would decide not to be in class. As soon as we'd start class and pay the first game, suddenly he'd be excited about what's on the floor. And so he'd come out and then he'd focus, right? But by allowing him to choose, and I know people are like, no, you shouldn't allow your kids to choose things. But it's not about allowing them to choose their timing. It's about allowing them to follow their excitement. And when you allow a kid to follow their excitement, they're going to learn better. And that's why he was able to learn physical, kinesthetic things much faster than many maybe many kids his age. Because we just encouraged him to only do it when he was excited to do it. When he wasn't excited to do it, we didn't push him. Simple as that. Because there was no point in fighting him. Yeah. But, like... Don't be upset if your kid is going through a phase where they don't stay focused for very long or they get emotional a lot or they maybe get angry a lot or they get overexcited a lot. This is all part of their normal brain development at their normal ages. And as long as we go with the flow and we don't nag them for not being focused and we don't get angry at them for being angry or we don't shame them for crying or we don't shush them for being so excited they will move through it let's let's put this in a way that like can really connect it with with us as adults we do the same thing we walk through every day we go through all these different emotions we go through all these different things and we do our best to keep them under control but they don't always keep under control and as parents as adults we snap sometimes we want to be angry sometimes we want to be sad sometimes we want to be upset sometimes now how would you feel if you're emotional like that and someone comes up and goes you shouldn't feel that way. You have no reason to feel that way. You need to focus on this. You need to forget about what that. What you're feeling isn't a big what deal. you're feeling isn't that big of a deal. It's not a big deal. You're you're worried over nothing. You know how would you feel if you were super emotional and someone else said that to you? Well, guess what? Your kid's gonna feel the same thing. So we're all about like in our two to four year old program is parent participation. So we're all about creating good, long lasting relationships. Between children, between children and parents. Good communication between children and parents. And the first step to that, I got to say, the first step to that is acknowledging that their emotions are the same as yours. Just because their emotions might be over things that you don't think are a big deal, they are still the same emotions that you experience on a daily basis. And if you talk to them in a way that you would not appreciate being talked to when you're emotional, that is going to push that bond away. It's going to push them away from wanting to bond with you and towards wanting to bond with someone else, such as younger peers or a teacher or something like that, which is where you get kids who are so much more influenced by their peer group than they are by their parents because they feel pushed away emotionally by their parents, but their peers accept them emotionally. Which, with that being said... Even if you are a supportive parent, there will be times when your child wants to spend more time with peers. And you have that to give is yeah, developmentally normal. normal. Absolutely normal as well. <laughs> Absolutely normal as well. But like you can take Axel. Axel, for example, here we try to give him as much opportunity to spend time with his peers and, and stuff like that. And he doesn't enjoy spending time with his peers. 
but we've also tried to acknowledge that emotion and, and work with that as much as possible. I mean, we made a lot of mistakes in the earlier days, but you know, we've really come around since then with them since about the age of four or five. And, um, and it's to the point now that like, there's a lot of times when he would rather spend time with us than his peers. And there's a lot of times he spends time with his peers and he comes back to us and goes, man, I can't believe these people think this way. Like, I don't know why my friend would think like that. Like, I don't get it. And he comes back to us with a much more mature outlook because we're able to guide him emotionally because he doesn't feel like we push him away emotionally. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, it does. And are there times where we have to reel him in or reel redirect? Him, yeah. Reel him in or redirect? Absolutely. Um, we were talking, I was actually, uh, Miss Tasha and I, who I know is on the Facebook live video right now as well. She's made a few comments. We had a discussion with a parent this week who has a very neurodivergent kiddo and we have to redirect him from time to time. Mm -hmm. And in class, he was making a really loud noise while Miss Tasha was giving it a badge for someone. <laughs> happens and, all the time. And he happened to be happens, in my, I Not just the neurodivergence, that happens all the yeah, time. It does. And I, she was still talking and instead of going, hey, stop that now. I just, I let her keep talking and I walked over and I whispered to him, I turned off my microphone and I whispered to him, hey dude, I can't hear Miss Tasha and I really want to be able to hear her. Can you stop that? And he was like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, of course. And he completely stopped. Yeah. But and I that's... could have been rude to him and I could have yelled at him or I could have snapped at him. No, because I would have fired you for that. Well, yeah, no, no, I know. But like, think about it from a parent perspective. Do you do that to your parents, to your kids? Yeah. You know, would you, you want someone doing that to you? Mm. So that's, that's my thing. Like, yeah. would I want someone doing that to me? Yeah. And would I want to connect with someone who did that to me? And that's why we have certain policies in here that are based in, based in real child psychology and real behavioral therapy, no, we're not psychologists, but we use methods that are based in these things. We've done a lot of research for it, and there's a reason we do things the way that we do. So, for example, our assistants are in charge, more often than not, of behavioral management because we don't want to draw attention to the behavior because that often causes the behavior to get worse. So the person on the microphone, the lead instructor, they're to ignore it and keep going while the assistant goes and reasons with, in a, in a way, emotionally, with the, the problem behavior. And I mean, 95% of the time, that's all it takes is a little like, hey, that's bothering me. Can we, you know, can we back up on that? Half the time they don't realize they're being disruptive. Exactly. They're just doing because that's what their brains do. But my point was, in, in talking to this mom, when mm -hmm. I explained why I did it, like, because this kid is having meltdowns. Right. And Which is I said, yeah, that. no, it's normal. And I was like, I could have caused a meltdown. Yep. If I handled it inappropriately. Yeah. But by talking to him and getting In a his way level, he understands. Yeah. Like, neurodivergent people understand being annoyed. They get annoyed by all kinds of little things. So if one of them is annoying you and you walk up to your neurodivergent child who's annoying you and you say, hey, look, honestly, I'm getting overwhelmed. I'm getting annoyed. You know how you feel when you come around, you know, things that annoy you. I'm starting to feel that way. Is there any way that maybe we can tone this down? You'd be surprised how receptive they can be to that. As Miss Tasha has put, neuro spicy kiddos, they are not like they are not unemotional. They're not empathetic, not unempathetic. They care. They, they can want be to empathetic. Connect. I mean, they can be mentally empathetic. They may yes. not necessarily be emotionally empathetic, but they can be mentally empathetic where they under if you can relate yeah. to a feeling that they understand, then they're going to understand where you're coming from and they're going to care to cater when they can to help yeah. you. They want those connections. They yeah. want because those they want the same kind of help. They do when they're in that situation. Well, and they want the same things that neurotypical people want out of relationships. They do. And so, as long as we, as Miss Tasha has put in the Facebook Live, as long as we approach them in a way that's appropriate, mm -hmm. 
to redirect them rather than control them. We're not trying to control them. When we try to control our kids, whether they're neurotypical or neurodivergent, we are going to push them away from us and we are going to create more of the behaviors that we do not want to see them doing because it doesn't exhibit their best self. First rule in our instructor training development, and I swear all of our instructors have been through this, very first, top rule in our instructor development, and I ask this question in interviews too, is we are not trying to control the class. We are not trying to control anyone in the class. All we're trying to do is influence the kids in the class and use what they're already paying attention to to bring them around to a lesson that they need to learn that's age appropriate for their development. It's not about controlling kids. Being a parent is not about control. It's about um, it's about being able to connect. It's about being able to redirect, and it's about being able to influence, not control. And and that's the thing that I I read a couple parenting books when I first became a parent, and I read one and a half. And I stopped. I decided never read another parent book because you know what they're all about? Control. control. They're all about you have to control this behavior. Control this. No, no. Don't don't control behaviors. Kids need room to develop. And if you're constantly kind of trying to control them, you then you wonder why your 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old doesn't like you and doesn't want to talk to you and doesn't want to connect with you. More than you expect them to anyway. Well, there's always going to be a little (laughs) bit of that because there's that independence phase. But you know. They, they, they seem to not want to talk to you for a week at a time. That, that's, that's generally where that comes from. They didn't build that bond with you at three, four, five, six years old. And then they get old enough to understand that you were trying to control them. So by the time they're 14, 15, they get old enough to understand that you've been trying to control them and they become resentful of it. And they're already in a rebellious phase. And then you've given reason to be resentful. And now, you know, no, it's, it's completely normal. And so when you are uh, evaluating your kid, because we're evaluating your kid every time they come into class. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, because everyone's a little different every day. Uh, and it's perfectly fine. I expect everyone to be a little different every day because not every experience is going to happen the same all day long. Can I, can I go back for one second? Sure. I did want to plug and add that this is why I've refused since day one to have a special class for neurodivergent people like every other martial arts studio told me I needed to split them out. No, because like she said earlier, they crave the same things we do. They crave acceptance. They crave being around their peers. They crave being accepted as normal, even though they might have difficulty learning or difficulty focusing or, or something along those lines. And so, and honestly, it's not, they shouldn't be put in a special place. Not only do they want, they want to be accepted. So we should not just be teaching to them specially. We should be bringing them in to let them feel normal and teaching our other students to to treat them. them. Yeah. To accept them the way they are and treat them fairly as peers. We shouldn't separate them and create fear tactics. Because the neurotypical kids, the earlier they're exposed to neurodivergent kids, the more accepting of them they will be later on and the more protective of them they actually get later on. And that's really, really important developmentally to both kids empathetically. So if you have a neurotypical kid and you want them to be empathetic, caring, compassionate, giving them some experience working with other kids their age that are neurodivergent will is a huge step to helping build that empathy and compassion for others. I just wanted yes. to add that in there. No, it's true. We shouldn't be segregating our, People neuro- who are different, our right. neurodivergent kids I'm neurodivergent just because they're different and I and I'm a, a business owner in the community you can't you know can't yeah. say it's all bad no no anyway 
So I'm going to move to a few milestones that we're going to talk about um, now that we've for each got all the stuff that like gets my yeah. gets my dander up, so to speak. Like, just, your kids are fine. Your kids yeah. are so fine. They're fine. We are not annoyed by their behaviors. No. We will work through their behaviors. Don't panic. We've got this. Yeah, and what she's getting to is each of our programs is broken down to help kids develop specific skills. Once those kids develop those skills, regardless of their age, they can move to the next age up. And then they have a different set of skills that we focus on developing. And then when they get those skills, even if they're a little young for the next class, they can have the option to move up. And then they'll learn a different set of skills, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, and I will let her take over. I'll yeah. come back for the seven, yeah. eight-year-olds. So for our two to four-year-olds, uh, I'll just give kind of like one milestone per like broad aspect that we look at socially, emotionally, and uh, physically or with kinesthetically slash proprioception. If we use the word proprioception, it's just a really, really big word to mean how their body moves. Um, you, if your kids are in OT, you will hear them use the term proprioception, and it's just another word for kinesthetic movement. Okay, So socially with our two to four-year-olds, because four is kind of a teeter-totter age, so some are still needing to be in our, our parent participation class, and some need to go ahead and developmentally be up in our level one tigers. So socially, we expect them to be interacting with their their parents a little a little better. Also, interacting with us verbally and a little bit physically, as far as helping them through whatever activity we're starting. Because sometimes two year olds and three year olds process uh, all the time. They'll process information differently. So a two year old might not understand the game we're playing like a three year old will. So we'll have a different version that we go coach them through to get them started. Um, we also expect them from two to four to move from only interacting with their parent and siblings to interacting with their other kids in the group, even though they might not be playing the game with the other kids in the class. Okay? So starting to develop those social interactions that they might find a little bit scary at first. Learning to say hi. What What's your name? Mm -hmm. Emotionally, we expect them to be all over the place. We expect them to refuse to play a game if they don't understand how it works. In the 2-4 program, that's going to be normal. We which is why we have a bunch of different versions of the same kind of game. Well, and that's also one of the reasons we make it parent participation. I mean, we want the parent to build that bond. Yep. But at the same time, parents already have an established connection and rapport that we would have to develop separately, which we do. We work to develop that yep. separately, but we allow the parents to become the teachers in that program so that they can they can learn a little bit of it along the way they can continue to establish those bonds and for exactly when a kid is going to refuse to play a game because it's going to happen in that program every kid is going to do that even if they love the game sometimes they're going to get distracted by something they're going to see something shiny they're going to go i want to play with that i don't want to do what we're doing and we have to allow for that because kids that age are experimenting with their environment i don't mean to take over but i have one short story neil degrassi tyson he gives this story i love this he talks about kids development and he talks about about, I love this. Uh, he says, you know, when you've got a child holding a, a glass full of water, they might drop the glass. And the first instinct of the parent is to be frustrated or annoyed or get onto them. That is that is the worst thing you can do because this is a child who understands nothing about science, gravity, any of the things around them, they're, they're still super excited by nature and physics itself because, like, this is all completely new to them. And so all that child did was an experiment. They learned that 
a glass full of water, if it's not supported by something, they learn that it falls. They learn that things can be fragile and that they can break. And they learn that if that thing breaks, the water spreads out. So they learn that water conforms to different areas that it's in. They may not realize all this before. So you can actually use this to keep your child excited about learning, about learning science. I did this with Axel when he was young. Um, where you don't get onto them. You say, look, look at this experiment you just performed. You experimented with your surroundings and you found out what happens when you drop something that's glass and you found out what happens to the water inside of it. And now we just clean it up and move on. It's, it's, a, it's a glass. We can go to the thrift store or the garage sales and get one for a dollar. It's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So emotionally, we expect them to be all over the place and it's completely fine. And sometimes they will stop wanting to play with their parent in an appropriate way. <laughs> that and, happens too. And you know, it, when that when that happens, we provide them emotionally natural consequences. Um, so, and we expect them to not like those and to work through those emotions very quickly. These and are not punishments. Happen. No. These are consequences. The difference yep. between a punishment and a consequence is like, if someone does something wrong and you say, because you did something wrong, you have to do this for me, that's a punishment. Consequence is different. That's where someone does something wrong and you let them know, well, because you did that, now we have to do this, yeah. right? That's a consequence. Because you're not playing nice with mommy, and mommy doesn't like playing with people who aren't nice, so now, I'm going to let her go get a drink, and you have right. to sit here with me. So now mommy doesn't have to play with you because you're 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 not being nice to mommy. You and know? after about a minute of them going, Mom or Dad, I want to play. Okay, well, go ask nicely if they'll play with you. And try to be nice and, this and time. And then we, we move through that socio-emotional moment together. And, and, they, and they learn how to, one, deal with the emotion. They've experimented, so they learn what how expre expressing the emotion that way, they learned what the con the real world consequences will be from that. And they'll take lesson from that and go, okay, from now on, I need to be a little bit more careful and, about this. And it makes them more socially and emotionally intelligent. Because yes. we, we talked about how we felt, how it impacted others, and how we can feel lonely if we're not nice to people. And this is the way I, I treated Axel from the time he was little. like, And even to this day sometimes, like a lot of times our kids get mad over something. Maybe we had to give them a consequence. Something happened and they get angry. Maybe they didn't like something we said. Maybe they misunderstood something we said and all of that. Or we and I'll set tell boundaries you, and they don't like it because they're our kid. I'll get, yeah, I'll give you a template that works every time, right? I give them about 10 minutes and then I go up and I'm like, dude, um, you know, I, I, I understand you feel the way you feel. But to be honest, I, I am disappointed that you feel that way. You feeling that way makes me disappointed because I, I, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't feel that way. But here's the thing. You're frustrated, angry, sad, whatever, about the fact that I said this or about the fact that mommy said this. But in all reality, we, we did it because if you would have kept doing that, the consequence would have been this. And and now you're you're punishing yourself and you want to stay away from this and you're mad at this. But what's more important? this small amount of time that you're going to be mad that neither of us are going to remember tomorrow? Or is it more important that we make sure that our family knows we love them and that we care about them even when we're angry? So maybe can we, we can feel angry, but maybe can we go down and still try to be nice and let our family know we love them? Because like we wouldn't want to mess up our relationship with our loved ones just because we're mad right now because we did something that had to stop us from doing. And that reasoning right there has always connected with Axel from the time he was like five, four, five. Every time I go, look, but you're kind of hurting mommy's feelings by the way you're acting towards her. I understand you're mad at her because she had to get onto you for something that you know you didn't need to be doing because it was unsafe or something like that. Here's why it was unsafe. And here's the thing, you can be mad, but that 
kind of separates you from your mama. Don't you love your mama? And it's like neither of you guys are going to remember this in the morning when you're done sleeping. So maybe instead of creating bad, scary memories by staying here being mad, maybe we can take a deep breath, let ourselves be mad, and still go down and say, look, I'm angry you talked to me this way, but I do love you and I want us to move past this. And that was – and then I he – whatever you know and then i come downstairs 10 minutes later he comes downstairs after he's had time to process what i said because he realizes that these these emotional relationships he has with us and i've talked to him about this with peers too is more important than the thing he's mad about the right temporary now. emotions yeah, yeah yeah so we we help establish that framework that you guys can build off of so they home. can learn to prioritize that social ability. Yeah, and that it's okay to get upset. It's okay to not understand. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to lose your focus. But it's not But it's not okay to try to turn around and hurt someone else yeah. back. Yeah. Um and now in the physical aspect, in the proprioception aspect, most kids um, are super uncoordinated at that age because yeah. they're just learning their fine and gross motor skills. So we work on basic jumping, basic grabbing, basic um, a little bit of catching. catching. Um, uh, they'll be aware at that age, catching is a hit or miss thing with different kids, yeah, you know? Yeah. And that has nothing to do with their intelligence or even really their coordination. It has more to do with the um, signals being sent between their brain and their muscles, hand-eye coordination. Not being processed quick enough. Right. Yeah, um, which takes practice and it takes By time. the way, most of my seven and eight-year-olds still struggle with catching oh, yeah. most it's, of them i mean the vast majority of them struggle yeah. with catching and tossing they struggle with the concept of throwing too like they can throw something but they have no control of how hard they throw it or where it goes the direction yeah and so that's one of the things we work yeah. on in the seven and eight yeah so a lot of things that we work on for the little littles as far as their proprioception is um picking things up holding them in their hands handing them to you gently not throwing them um, if we do any kind of throwing, it's the parent throwing so they can catch and the child rolling the ball back or bouncing it back because that's a lot easier for them to do. Um, also, basic jumping skills, balance, as in being able to walk on By pads. Way, facing jumping skills doesn't mean being able to jump six inches in the air. It's it just means being able to get both feet off the ground. In and out of a ring, an inch off the ground, yeah. if that. Um, because for some kids, it's a lot harder than you think, and, yeah. but they will learn it. Um, while being able to walk. You know what's crazy? We have a parkour program that's age nine and up. Sixty percent of the kids that come into that parkour program who are age nine to fourteen cannot jump. Yep. That is weird, but it's true. Yep. I mean, sixty percent of the people that come into our parkour program, we have to teach them how to just jump at all. Like, I don't mean jump something high. I mean at all. And, uh, you know, these are things that, that honestly should be worked on and developed between the ages of four and eight and nine. Yes. So by the time they're nine, they have a really strong concept of how to jump. Actually, yeah. between, I, I see it develop mostly around the age of eight. Yeah. Um, we work on them being able to walk off of a basic, like, soft pad or a balance beam without falling. Mm -hmm. That's a very important skill. And we work a lot, a lot, a lot on falling properly because this is the perfect age to learn how to fall properly because guess what they're going to fall a lot yeah so they need to learn how to fall and not break their arms like our son did two times so yeah so those are some basic milestones for that two to four year old program in the next one up we expect them to be able to do all of those things and I, add on to them i i i, I kind of want to want to preface a little bit here you know, everyone from the hospital, you get those get those forms I mentioned earlier, uh, motor skills at six months, motor skills at 12 months, motor skills at 24 months. Like I said before, don't expect more than half from yeah. any kid, no matter how intelligent, 
they're they're a broad uh, uh, spectrum sort of thing. And I've heard many many parents say, especially in the seven, eight, six year olds, say, "Well, my kids still can't high five, or my kids still can't." Uh, do a certain thing with their hands or whatever. Okay. It says they should have been able to do this on the list. No, not necessarily. Every kid develops differently, and that's just meant. To, it's not to be meant to be a list of things they should be able to do all of. It's meant to be a list of things to look for at that ages and and encourage. That's all. Okay, so I'm gonna be honest. We didn't teach Axel to tie his shoes until he was seven. Yeah, but by not teaching him until he was seven, he learned, he learned in thirty minutes. That. Yeah. So fast. I'm sorry. I'm not sending my kid to public school anyway. One and two, not that just because we we chose to take a different route. But we have a weird schedule. Two. I'm sorry. You should not be forcing five year olds who barely have the fine motor skills to put on their shoes on the correct sides. Let alone make that a requirement for them to move on to the next grade. I've talked. I've talked to parents of five and six year olds complaining about their kids' handwriting. I was like, Do you understand? how weak the brain connections are to the to the more intricate muscles of the wrist and fingers like yes of course they can move their arms they can move their fingers they can grab but those use the larger muscle groups the brain doesn't fully connect to all the tiny little individual muscles needed for the dexterity to write do not expect your five and six year old to have great handwriting again don't it's not freak gonna out. happen your kids are fine it's not gonna happen yeah yeah so, they are not gonna develop decent handwriting until I mean, more advanced kinesthetic kids might develop it around 9, 10, but most kids aren't going to develop a more legible, consistent handwriting until 12 or 13, to be frankly honest with you. Yeah, and that's completely fine. Mm -hmm. Okay, so remember, I'm just giving a few broad milestones we look at, but again, we evaluate each kid every day individually. We have an individual learning plan for each child. Trust me, we have a lot of kids. And oh, yeah. we have an individual learning plan for each and every I, one of them. I do need to say something here, too, because we got it. We regularly get negative comments on our ads from people who have never met us before. It's almost always men who have never met us before. And it's always on the ads that include kids because there's this weird misunderstanding out there that martial arts studios like ours are teaching kids full traditional martial arts cultures and telling them that they'll be able to use this stuff against adults. That is not it. We have a special belt program for the two to fours that upgrades to a belt program for the four to sixes that upgrades to a new belt program for the seven and eights. And they don't get into the traditional concepts of martial arts until age nine. Okay. Now, what we do teach them is different in each one. Miss Rose has been explaining the two to fours. It's all gross motor skill development. That's it. It's gross motor, motor skill development. In the fours to sixes, they learn a little bit more about awareness. She's going to get into that kind of thing in a minute. In my sevens and eights, we teach them some very basic non-aggressive skills to be able to uh, hopefully get away from an adult trying to pull their wrist or little things or like that, or at least at least teach them to fight and be loud. Fight and be loud. Draw a crowd to give them a better chance because once a child starts to fight back, if it's in a crowd or a public area, that more than often is enough to get somebody to stop. And we teach them a few relatively non-aggressive things that they can do towards bullies that obviously will not work against an adult from a child. Now, do they do it against us as adults? Yeah, because we want to make sure they do the technique right. But those are more bully-related. And then we also teach them some kickboxing techniques and stuff like that so that they can learn to... Uh, coordinate kinesthetically and we constantly talk about how the striking sides of the art are really really not used to hurt people they're only used to help people and to maybe protect ourselves so 
those belt programs are not the traditional belts. They're special belt programs for those kids that lead them up through these skills that she's talking about so that by the time they're 19 years old, they can go into the traditional program and spend the next couple few years already like like they've done a preschool they that gave them all the necessary fundamental tools to be successful in real martial arts. There seems to be this misconception when people see kids in our ads that we're trying to claim that uh, we teach kids to be able to take on adults and obviously not. Like I think that's anyone ridiculous. with a reasonable head on their shoulders realize that that's, that's ridiculous. They think that because we talk about confidence. We're talking about the confidence to at least fight back if a stranger grabs them. We're talking about the confidence to at least be loud and not let a bully just push them around, right? That's the kind of confidence we're talking about with kids. So uh, if you see one of our ads that has one of those negative comments about it, don't worry about it. Those are people that do not even know us and they, they always misunderstand and think that we're somehow saying a seven-year-old kid could fight an adult. That is not at all what we say. And if you've ever had any experience with us or seen our ads, I'm pretty sure you can see that, right? I just wanted to preface that, that what we're talking about is the preschool skills. So our two to four, four to six, seven to eight, they learn the preschool skills to traditional martial arts. Yes. So that they can be a little ahead of the game when they get into the traditional martial arts. Yeah. My thing, I don't care if your kid can ever throw a front kick. I don't either. I don't care if I can ever teach them to throw a front kick. What I care about is that they turn into an awesome person. And that they develop, you know, appropriately. Yeah. Go through appropriate development stages. That they are socio and emotionally well balanced. Like and, and for me, I mean, she, she works through up to the six-year-olds. For me, with the seven and eight-year-olds, I have an additional one where I want them to be confident enough to be loud and fight back if they know something is wrong. When I say fight back, I don't promote them to necessarily kick punch or anything like that, but at least to struggle, be loud, and I give them little tricks like how the thumb is the weakest part of the grip, so different ways to turn the hand to get away and things like that, little tricks to help it make it more difficult for adults to be able to do something like that, which, by the way, I taught my kid way too early. So every time I tried to grab my kid's wrist anywhere when he was running off, he'd like immediately get away. So these techniques do work against adults because my own son has been using them against me for years. Yeah. And he is really hard to hold on to. Anyone who's ever had like the throwing fit child and you tried to hold the child that's throwing a fit and hold them still and they're fine, you can't hold them. So even if they don't know how to fight back effectively with martial arts, if they at least have the confidence to do something, they make it very hard on an adult scene. attacker. They're going to make a scene. And they're going to make it very hard on an adult <laughs> attacker. And when it comes to the self-defense side of things, that's what we promote with kids. Yes, yes. And more than anything, I worry about preteens and teenagers picking on the Other seven kids. and eight year olds yeah. more than adults. But again, we're, we're not gonna Yeah, we're not gonna scare your kid. Even when we're working on self defense, we're not gonna scare your kid and be like when somebody attacks you. Like No, no, no. That's we're not very fair. teammate <laughs> oriented. We're very we keep everything as safe as humanly possible. Yes, we pressure test techniques, but in very controlled environments to make sure nothing's wrong. We're very careful about who we partner. And I'm gonna be frankly honest, we've had teens in the past we've had to kick out because they got they just had this ego and thought they were better than everybody and use that as a reason to to uh, try to go a little hard in sparring or try to push her up with younger ones or try to push things around a little much. And uh, yeah, I mean, when we have that and we, we try to talk to them, if we can't do anything to change that behavior, we will remove them from the studio. We hate doing that, 
but uh, we want to make sure that all of it's our all of our members, even if they don't like each other, are teammates working together and will look out for each other nonetheless. Yes. yes. All right. Anyway, so we diverged a little bit. We'll get back. So we talked about the two to four year old program. Now our four to six year olds, we're kind of expanding on all of those things. We're expecting them to work a little more towards better coordination, better catching skills. Um, we're still expecting them to hand a ball back to us. We are now on, and that's kind of on the physical realm. On the social realm, we are expecting them to work with us and be appropriate with their peers because now in they're keep, in. Keep their hands to themselves. Keeping their hands up to themselves, stay in their space, um, trying their best to stay focused. Sure, it's okay if they say, good job. You know, we want them to cheer for each other and start being supportive of each other while they're in class. Yeah. And as they develop through that, once they develop some of those skills, I know one of the final skills we look for in Tigers One is the ability to follow simple commands. Now I want one to two step directions. What I want to say is simple, simple commands. Could you please go get that and bring it back to me? That's and a two-step command. And hand it to me. That's a two-step command. Now if they go get it and toss it, we won't catch it. And we go, I'm sorry, that wasn't very nice. I asked you to hand it to me. And you know, and those are the skills that they need. That's the main skill they need to move up into my class, yes. the seven, eight year old class, is the ability to follow very simple instructions. Mm -hmm. Um, emotionally, we still expect them to be all over the place. Um, their focus will still be all over the place. We expect them to get upset when they fail. We expect them to get overexcited when they see someone excel or when they excel. Um, we, we expect, expect them to get overexcited when they play a game and maybe get a little outside of the rules when they know the rules, right? Like maybe they're playing a game and one of the rules is to stay on the mat and a couple of kids might run off the mat because they're ultra excited. That doesn't mean we're going to get onto them for it. It just takes a small reminder. Yeah. So we'll go, hey, remember guys, you're supposed to stay on the mat. Or in we, my class, they have a consequence for it, but that's I'll get to that in a minute. We expect them to interrupt us and forget to raise their hand. Uh, there's all sorts of little And we things. just use little reminders. Yeah, like, hey, reminders. I will answer your question, but please remember to raise your hand next time. Yeah. yeah, but through this class, we are reminding them and encouraging them and supporting them and redirecting them to change their behaviors to ones that are a little more socially and emotionally acceptable and best for them, like raising their hand when they have something to say. And, um, and speaking up. I was going to say, that's a big one I know you work on in the four to six, yes. is speaking up about how they feel, mm -hmm. speaking up about what boundaries. they feel like they're struggling with boundaries. speaking about boundaries so like if they seem upset we'll come up to them and be like hey is something upset you so and so put keeps putting their hand on me okay well we, i need you, you to so i need you to set that boundary can you can you t ask them have you told them or asked them to stop putting their hands on you no try that first and then we'll have them do it right in front of us and then we'll ask the other child could you please stop putting your hands on them because if you don't then we're going to have to move you into the less fun group with the less fun game and i you know i don't want to do that yeah. you know yeah. Um, and then we you know, follow through with that if necessary. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we're just kind of expanding that class. We're just ex taking it a step up. It's a step up from the previous class, but we're now we're in a group setting instead yeah. of a parent participation setting. Set, setting boundaries. That's a really important one for the four to six year olds. Yes. Learning how to set boundaries. Because they don't learning, know any boundaries. Learning how to, how to respect others' boundaries, that sort of thing. Yeah. Which is why in that class, which is so different from mine in this way, when kids are doing a drill or kids are doing an activity, they're giving not just a certain area to be, they're given a visual spot. They're given like a visual ring to sit in or stand in that is separated far enough that they'll keep their hands away from each other and the rules to stay in there so that they're learning this is my boundary, that's their boundary, and I have to stay in my boundary and they'll stay in their boundary and we'll all have yeah. fun. And the funny thing is, is that the kids will grab the rings. They will put them in their mouths. They oh, they're tactile. Kids, we do clean them every yeah, single we, class. We do, we do. We do not reuse them between classes. No. Um, but 
it get, and they'll try to fold them. And it gives us the opportunity to then go, hey, those are my toys. Mr. Rose doesn't buy me new toys and they get broken. I don't. Can you? He doesn't. A bunch of our rings are taped together. I will get us some new rings I know, eventually. No, no, you're fine, you're fine. But I, even though I know that you actually would replace them if we needed them, yeah. I can say, these are my toys. Would you want me to break your toys? That's okay. my that's, that's my favorite talk. I do the same in the seven eight. That's my favorite talk, right? Miss Rose won't buy me new toys they'll if go, you break them. They'll go climbing on something they're not supposed to. I'll be like, hey man, that's those are my toys. How would you feel if I went in your room and found your Nintendo Switch and started jumping up and down on it? You wouldn't like that very much, would you? No. Okay, well then stay off my toys, man. I want yeah. you jumping up and down on my toys. Yeah. But that's an age appropriate conversation to have with them because And then I'll tell them they're... I'll share them with them if they'll use them properly. Yeah. And so then that gives them that extra social thing of we have to take care of each other and take care of each other's things. Um, so I'll let that kind of wrap up my four to six year old class. Um, Mr. Rose primarily deals with the seven to eight year olds. I keep some of the narrow spicy um, seven year olds. Now when I say seven to eight year olds, bear in mind that we sometimes have six and even five year olds that accomplish every all of those things within the Tigers class, and they can come up to my class too. So my class is actually filled with like five to eight-year-olds, very mature five-year-olds up to eight-year-olds. Now my mature five-year-olds may not be coordinated as the seven-year-olds, but that's something I work on. Now we'll say mature, they're still five-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, don't, five -year -olds. I don't mean like, to give the wrong um, impression. I just mean they can set their own boundaries. They can follow simple instructions. They can not interrupt and essentially keep their hands to themselves. They have age-appropriate proprioception. Yeah. Physical movements. Yep. As far as they have the basic ideas and, of, and of the basic things, right? Now, in my program, the seven and eight-year-old program, it's run a little bit different. So, what I find uh, for the ones that have done her program, even if they're younger, and the seven and eights, what I find is this is the time when they're starting to develop more personality. This is, yeah, this is why I love this class. So I love that class. This is the time. I like the four-year-olds for the exact same This is the time when they start to develop a little bit of wit, a little bit of sense of humor. Sarcasm. Sarcasm, right? And I love it. I love it. I love when the kids make jokes. I love that I can make jokes that don't go over their head, right? Like a lot of the kids get my jokes. And, um, and that allows us to have a lot of fun back and forth. So, yes, there's a lot of times that someone will say something out of turn. They get excited and say something out of turn. And happen. I'll usually just go ahead and answer them, especially if it was witty. Like, I'll let it go if you're witty. But I remind them, remember, you have to raise your hand and say something because – and I give reasons. So the seven, eight-year-olds and, and, and the more advanced ones that come over that are younger, they understand reason. And so I give them the reasons behind the rules. The why. So I start to really enforce rules in my class. And I always make sure I give them the reasons to the rules. I don't want anyone jumping on, on equipment without permission or unsupervised because it's very dangerous. You could fall off and break your arm. You could hurt your neck really bad. Uh, it's happened before with students who, who were uh, like out, out of class and unsupervised and you know whatever. So I, I, I use the real world situations as the reasons. Or we have to raise our hand to say something because there's like 12 of y'all in here. And if three of y'all are talking at once, I'm already deaf in one ear. So I've only got one ear left to hear. I'm not going to hear any of it. You know what I'm going to hear? I'm going to hear blah, 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 blah. And I do something like that. makes some annoying noise. They all laugh and they get it. They understand. And then they'll try to do better about raising their hands. Now, in my class... I already expect them to be able to set their boundaries, and I already expect them to be able to express if someone else is not respecting their boundaries. And I expect them to first express it to the person that's not respecting their boundaries, and then if it doesn't stop, I expect them to, 
to bring it up to me or one of our teachers or one of our instructors so that we may handle it. Um, now, in that class, we don't give them special spots to sit or rings to sit in to keep them separated. They get a little trust in my class. They are trusted to be able to line up with each other in their own spots without, with, you know, wherever they want to be on the edge. And they're expected to be able to, for me to go, you three line up behind me and then line up behind me without running into each other. They're expected to, to begin to respect that space. And they're expected to be able to start to follow slightly more complex commands. So we'll, instead of just doing a game or a drill that requires one simple thing, we might have a few games and drills that require two things. You're going to do this, then you're going to do this, right? Two things. And we start to build on that through that class. And I like to encourage the individuality in the class. So even when kids get a little overexcited and speak out of turn, I will often still like stop them and remind them, but I'll often still go ahead and make jokes with them and answer whatever witty thing they had or sarcastic thing they had or thing that the way around the rules they thought they had or whatever it is. Creative winning. Creative winning, yeah, they're, they're creative winning. And um, and I, I will usually go ahead and answer them, right? Because generally there's other kids in the class that want to know. And it's a good chance to have a moment of humor with the class that, that they might find funny or amusing. Um, at the same time, we still stick with the same kind of um, emotional uh, progression that she was talking about in the four and six. So we work on, as far as the emotional progression, uh, we work on the ability to convey our emotions, to convey our boundaries, to convey our emotions. We work on the ability to, if you're upset, if you're sad, if something bad happened, I'll pull them aside, tell me what happened. And we still focus on any negative behaviors do not get, do not get attention. What they do is the lead goes on with what they were doing and an assistant gives a quiet reminder. And then we have a five-step process that goes with that and they don't actually get any extra attention, which is usually like the class clown thing, what they're going for. They don't get any extra attention that way using our five-step system. And so it's very effective in halting that because what we do is we make sure that we give all of the attention to the kids who are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And I swear, if you have two kids, only two kids doing exactly what they're supposed to do, and you, oh, look, awesome, there's 12 of you, I only got two of you doing exactly right, man, I love this, I'm gonna give y'all some stickers, we're gonna give them two, you guys get a nice thing, right? The, like, 70% of the rest of the class suddenly is, uh, okay, trying to do what they're supposed to I do. Because they want that attention. Now, once they start doing that, then in every drill, we try to acknowledge the ones who have began to try to act appropriately, right? And in that way, they're being positively reinforced for good behavior, and their negative behavior, they're being reminded that they need to fix it for different rules. They're going to be reminded that there's consequences for that, but they're not given extra attention for it so they don't get to get that class clown syndrome going on, right? That being said, I love the wittiness. I love the sarcasm. I love the creativity these kids had. So in my classes in particular, like I said before, it's not about controlling the class or controlling the kids. It's about starting to talk to them and then I ask them questions and then I take their answers and their sarcasm and their wittiness and that and I turn it, turn what they're saying into a fun moment or into a lesson or into a bonding experience. So and they can start connecting the dots. And that's what I mean by influence, not control. It's about influencing them where they're at, not controlling exactly what they do. Or if we're doing a particular technique or something like that, and someone is having, you know, let's say some trouble with that technique, we might modify that technique a little bit for them so that they can learn a little bit better and then we'll modify it again and again until they get to the to the final rate. So one of the biggest complaints I see is, well, my child seems so much less coordinated than the other kids in your class. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. There's always, there's always, I mean, in a class of 14, there's always three or four, maybe five that are a little less coordinated than the rest. And so my, my kid's not as big. They're not growing as big. They, they're a little less coordinated. Yeah. Okay. Well, your kid's also really smart and very tactical. So they may not be very coordinated, but they have very good timing and they have very good social skills to de-escalate situations because we start teaching them that a little bit. We start teaching them about how to treat others regardless. We start teaching them about character. We start teaching them about the way you treat others being a reflection of you and the way they treat you being a reflection of them. And so therefore not stooping to their level, which can end up getting us in trouble. So instead we want to, we want to take the high road kind of thing. Right. Yep. And um, we teach them about that. We teach them some basic uh, non-aggressive things to do with bullies. And then when it comes to physical things and coordination, what we begin to expect them to do is to progress on what they learned in the level four, uh, in the four to six year olds and to do slightly more awkward physical techniques uh, that are even awkward for many adults. Spinning techniques, we introduce them to that. Um, We push them on their flexibility. We push them on their balance a little bit more than they Um, do on the four to six year olds. And you teach them multi-step patterns. And I teach them multi-step patterns, which are like forms. They have to memorize, we begin memorization in my class. And it starts with just memorizing four movements in a row, in a certain order. And then when they get through that, at their next rank, they'll memorize those same four movements plus four more, very similar to them. And then their next rank up, they get those same eight movements plus four more different movements. And so they're learning slowly to build the concept of memorization. Remember how I told you earlier that kids don't really learn to retain information long term until around the ages of eight or nine, at seven, eight, nine. So that is what we're promoting from the R seven and eight programs, even with our six year olds, is we're promoting. That's the main thing we look look for for them moving up to the next program. One of the main things is that they can retain more and more and more information. And we challenge them to retain more and more information. And we don't punish them if they don't. There's just a consequence of, well, you don't get to get that stripe, so maybe you don't go to the next belt yet. But that's okay, because you're still going to get to work on all the new new material next time with all the kids. you got plenty of kids. Not a big deal. And uh, most kids don't really care about getting the stripes. They get to having so much fun in the the classes. We make it. So my class is much more fast-paced. Um, we keep everything very, very fast paced, very, very exciting, keep the kids excited. And one of the big things I promote is learning to have a loud voice, learning to sound confident, learning to have the confidence to not let people just grab them randomly or push them around randomly. I don't teach them to haul off and punch another kid, but we do teach them. I mean, we do teach them those techniques, but we teach them those, te- those techniques in sort of a sport method for the uh, pro- uh, proprioception. Pro- Yes. Yes. Proprioception of that. But when we talk about self-defense, we are teaching them very basic grip releases, very basic things they can do if, if a kid a little bit bigger than them is picking on them that are pretty non-aggressive. We teach them about body language. We teach them about how this means stop, this means fight. So if someone's, but you can defend yourself the same either way. So if someone is being mean to you, let's get the hands up like this. Let everybody know they can't even hear us, that we're just telling them to stop. We're not trying to fight, that sort of thing. And we give them hints to ways that they can try to de-escalate situations or if a situation escalates with a bully, they can at least give the impression that they were really trying to get out of it and, and that way maybe hopefully end up in less trouble, right? As you can tell, these are obviously some of his favorite classes. They to are. Teach. They're my favorite classes. Because <laughs> at the same time, sport-wise, they're learning basic kickboxing. They get their first experiences with sparring with gear. They're very light contact. Most of these kids couldn't hit hard enough for 
them to either feel it on each other without the gear. What's but we put the gear on anyway. How fast it now yeah. feels. So they're also working. Because they're scared on... at first. So like I say, yeah. here's where we work on the emotional development. We work on overcoming fears by showing them that oftentimes the thing we're, things we're afraid of, we're only afraid of because they're different than anything we've done before. And that doesn't mean they're actually scary to do. It doesn't mean they're actually terrifying to do. I actually had a student last cycle, it was a prime example of this. For two weeks, he, he, he started one day and for two weeks, uh, he saw some sparring happen on, on his first or second day. And for two weeks, when do I get to spar? When do I get to spar? Dude, you'll get there. Learn some stuff first. You'll get to spar next time around. Four or five weeks later, he gets his chance. Sparring day. Comes in, sparring day. He's so excited. Starts to put the gear on. Tears. I saw it. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. What's wrong? I go, hey, man, what's going on? I'm really scared. I am really, really scared. I, this is going to hurt. I'm afraid it's going to hurt. Like, no, we're doing this with our teammates. It's very light contact. It's not going to hurt. If it hurts at all, it'll be like a little bit. It won't hurt. It'll hurt less than falling down on the playground, which I can't, you probably do all the time, right? Yeah. Does that hurt that bad? No. All right. Well, it's, there's nothing here that's going to hurt any worse than that. And um, still, I'm scared. I'm scared. And it got to the point that he still put his gear on. He got in line. He was like first in line on his team. And uh, I'm getting ready to start the match. I'm scared. It's okay, buddy. I'm going to be right here. And if anything goes, it even begins to look like it might be too rough. I'm here to stop it. I'm here to jump right in there for you and stop it. And I guarantee this person you're going with, they don't like to go hard either. They're going to be very, very soft with you too. It's really nothing to worry about. But I'm terrified. Can I please not? And I just said, go right then. And the other kid kind of charged in and like barely touched him. And he was like, that's it. And he puts his hands up and he goes, I'm like, yeah, man, that's it. You're good. And by the end of the day, he loves sparring. Now, the next day, he was scared again. Of course he is. You know, he doesn't, he might be different. Here's what scared him. Memory's not a thing with them. And here's what scared him. Because he's in the same class with kids who have been in that class for 9, 12 months. And some of those kids that have been in there for 9 or 12 months are actually pretty good tactical kickboxers. We always keep three or four kids in there that are really solid tactical kickboxers that if we were to take them to tournament would actually have a really good shot at getting first through third in their age and rank groups. And so sometimes the beginners like this boy see them and go, oh, they look well, because what I'll do, and the students know this, I go to each of the more advanced students and I say, remember, when you're with the younger students or the lower ranks, you go super light and you go super slow. I remind them every time they come up, with this person, can you go a little lighter for me? You know, Can you promise me to be gentle with them? They're really scared. And they will every time. They'll walk up and be super slow and they'll let the person score on them. I they're the awesome same, kids. I did the same thing in my level one traditional yeah. class last night. They're awesome you know? kids. But then when I got two of my, my Tiger Brown, Tiger Red belts up there, the more advanced ones that are yeah. not afraid of sparring, yeah. are not afraid of taking a hit, I go to them and I'm like, all right, you guys know you can, you can go at each other for all I care. Go. And then them guys just go to town with these. They're all in big pads and stuff. They don't feel hardly any of it. They got face shields on and they kind of go to town. And that sometimes scares the younger ones. But as I tell them, look, you're not, you're, you'll get to where you're sparring like that in six months, nine months, a year. No one expects you to do that right now. We just expect you to get in and make a few movements and try and move around in a circle and try to use the techniques you've learned and things like that. And so one of the big things they're working on is, is coordination, uh, emotionally, 
learning how to cope with fear, learning how to cope with anger when someone upsets them. Learning um, that failure is not a bad thing. Continuing to learn to keep their hands to themselves, learning how to handle following rules when they're trusted to follow the rules instead of being constantly supervised to follow them, which leads to the positions of, you know, kids letting us know that other kids are acting up or that sort of thing, which happens from time to time. And we just have to separate people and it's usually fine. Um, you know, that kind of thing. And it allows them to set their boundaries. So emotionally they become more confident in themselves when they come to school and they have less of a problem setting boundaries that have less of a problem talking and playing with other kids because they're less afraid of getting hurt. They're less afraid physically. And, uh, and that, and, and that, cause they, cause they know what they can handle. And, and by overcoming those challenges, they build more and more confidence. So yeah. So in my class, we continue to work on the balance, but we add to it. So instead of just trying to balance on a balance beam, let's try balance on a balancing beam while balancing a cone on our head, right? A new level of balance. Um, and then they're trusted to be able to essentially run themselves. So when we have a game that they don't need a leader to help them with each thing, they're expected to take their turn and then give the equipment to the next person in line so that person can take their turn. And they learn how to follow directions without having to be watched constantly, which I talk to them about this constantly when we talk about Integrity Week, keeping your promises, following the rules. I say the more you do this, the more you earn trust. And the more trust you earn from your parents, the more freedom they'll give you to do things unsupervised or without your, or with your friends or things like that. And uh, kids, kids get excited by that concept. And so they begin to really try to keep all their promises and follow all the rules with their parents because then their parents know, because I say it in front of the parents, their parents know to give them a little bit more freedom, a little bit more trust. And as long as they continue to act right in that, then they're allowed that freedom. And they, they learn that that, that, is, that is the key to being able to do the things they really want to do yeah. um, and, and to get the trust they really want to get. So in my program, we learn to kind of hone the sense of humor, hone the wit, get a little bit more thick skinned where we can laugh things off. We learn to definitely respect others' boundaries and how to express our boundaries. Like I expect kids in my class to not walk up to me and say, hey, he's touched me. You know what I expect them to do? I expect them to ask kindly for that person to keep touching them. And then I expect to hear across every, yeah. And and then I expect to hear across everybody, so-and-so, I asked you to please stop touching me and you're continuing to do it. I'm going to ask one more time, please stop touching me. And when I hear that, that's when I know to intervene and I'll come intervene. But I would much rather them do that than come to me every time. Because the problem is if a teacher didn't see something and the child goes up and tells the teacher, this kid won't keep their hands off of me, guess what most teachers say? Don't be a tattletale. I didn't see it happen. And it and it hurts these kids like, well, what am I supposed to do if the teacher won't do anything? You know what? Wow. Tell the teacher, tell the teacher, but not to the teacher. Be so stinking loud in the process that the teacher hears you tell so-and-so to keep their hands off of you. How about that, right? Confidence. And I'm not saying sound mean about it, but I am saying be assertive, right? It's important to learn to be assertive when you're setting boundaries. Yes. That doesn't mean violent. That does not mean aggressive. And, and they have to learn the difference between that. In my class, they have to learn the difference between that. They also, uh, facing their fears, when we do self-defense weeks and we're talking about pushing, we actually put the children in a position where they're going to get pushed. 
Yes, it's in a very safe way. Can it be scary at first? Yes, but they end up, it ends up being their favorite drill every time where we have a padded wall and we push them into the padded wall and they bounce off and push us back and yell and, you know, like it's a big thing. So they learn to be confident in the situations. Yeah. So um, if I let you, you would continue to talk about this class for hours and hours and hours. Did I, did, well, yeah. Tell me what I missed. No, 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 my, you didn't miss anything. In We've the actually things that we covered a couple things again. Right. So, to move so. Up in, so to move up into the traditional arts, quick little bullet list, move up into the traditional arts, we expect a bit more coordination so they can do at least four of the ten or so basic techniques they're required to do well, and the other four they can kind of do, even if they're not doing them extremely well yet, because some of those techniques we don't even teach in traditional till the intermediate ranks. Yep. So um, we just introduce the kids to it to see what they can do, because if you don't challenge the kids, you, you never can see what they do. Yeah. Um, they're expected to be able to set boundaries for themselves. They're expected to learn how to face small fears in a safe way. They're expected to learn how to approach relatively dangerous things with caution, but not debilitating fear. Be careful, but don't necessarily not try, right? Uh, again, they learn more physical skills about jumping. They learn better about jumping. They learn more about standing on one foot. They learn better about kicking. They learn basic kickboxing tactics, how to use angles, how to step away from techniques, um, how to keep distance, how to keep a guard up, how to how to use boxer scars to protect their face, a little bit of basic boxing technique. They learn some basic stranger danger defenses. They learn some basic non-aggressive defenses against bullies. Um, and then they learn how to memorize things. And so that all builds on the four to six-year-old program. And it builds very, very smoothly from there into our traditional program where they will be expected to take more complicated things. They will be expected to memorize more material. They'll be expected to work on the same material for a little bit longer time in more different ways with different people. They're going to be expected to work with partners. So in my class, that's another thing we begin to get with is work on with partners. So we do a pre-class game. One of my favorite ones is just to get the kids to play catch or hot potato with each other so they learn to work with each other. And sometimes the more advanced kids, when we're working on a a technique, a non-aggressive technique for against bullies, I'll put the more advanced kids as partners with themselves to see if they can partner with each other to see if they're ready for a class like this where they can be told what to practice back and forth and be left to practice it with with only enough supervision to make sure we're giving corrections where it's necessary. Yeah. And that we can trust them to stay safe, we can trust them to speak up, we can trust them to speak their mind, and we can also trust them to be courteous, follow the rules, and know how to behave in a classroom setting. And in my class, through those things, they learn how to focus better as well. They really start sharpening their focus in my class um, because I will do things like having them repeat things, uh, more complicated things after me. Like I'll give them four things, have them repeat the four things back to me, that sort of thing. Um, and then that develops very nicely straight into our traditional class, which, yes, has you know kids and adults who are split on different sides working on similar things. But you'd be surprised how well how well the kids the kids manage by the time they've been through those programs. They're often more advanced than kids two ranks higher than them in the traditional program by the time they get here. And so the transition is usually really, really smooth. Now, sometimes they want to come back to my class just because they're a little scared of the bigger class and they were having fun in my class and they don't care about learning new stuff and they don't care about getting bells. They just want to play some games. That's fine. Come back to my class. Stay in my class as long as you want. Have fun as long as you want. But at a certain point, you'll feel ready to move up. Some seven-year-olds are, are socially, emotionally, and physically ready to go up. Seven- and eight-year-olds are emotionally, socially, and physically ready to go up into right. the level so one let fundamentals. Me, let, me, let me put it this way, though. The seven- and eight-year-olds uh, that are often ready to go up there 
are often the ones that started at five and six years old. So they've had a lot of this training with us already. So a lot of the seven, six and seven-year-olds, I mean, we've had some six and seven-year-olds get to move up, and that's because they, they, they were maybe a little bit more advanced on these things. Does that mean the, the other kids are behind? No. Does that mean they're necessarily ahead? No. It just means that they have developed in such a way to be able to handle more uh, uh, structure and more, more um, complex... Uh, commands and things yeah. like that so that they can work on that. That doesn't even not mean they have to move on. Sometimes they're just not emotionally ready. Sometimes they're not emotionally ready. And so if we're not sure, if I, and I don't even bring it up to a parent until I'm sure they're both physically and emotionally ready. If I'm pretty positive a kid's both physically and emotionally ready, I don't care what their age is, I'll recommend to their parents that maybe they can move up if they want. Some do, some don't. Some uh, do a little both. I have some a do a little, do a little both. both right now. Right. Some come over and then go, you know what? I don't really feel ready for that class. It's a little overwhelming. All right, come back to my class. That's cool. I don't mind. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, then, of course, there is an end rank in my class that if you stayed in my class up to that rank, you're moving up whether you like it or not. Like I, you I, could stay I've taught class, you everything you, I have to teach you. Well, I mean, they could stay in the class. They can stay in the class, but they're not going to advance anymore because that's the last belt we give in that class. Now, keep in mind, those belts are still uh, preschool belts. That's like preschool martial arts, right? Uh, the fundamental social, emotional, and, um, and physical skills to be able to move up into a traditional martial arts program. We just want to make sure that they can carry themselves not just confidently but appropriately that they know uh how to act in certain certain situations they know they need to act differently in formal situations than they do in informal situations with their friends like they they learn all those skills in in my class yeah and um and it's a fun class it is it's super fun all all three of those preschool programs are really really fun and they're some of my favorites to teach and i know a lot of the other teachers feel the same way um it's really great to give them a foundation mm -hmm. but more than anything remember that your kids are still two three four five six seven eight you know they're no matter how intelligent they are how quickly they learn things they are still those ages. Their brains are still those ages, and, and remember, they are fine. They're based, fine. Based on their experience with their teachers, maybe their martial arts teachers, with their parents, based on their earliest experiences up to this point, they are going to develop different things at different times. Like I've had many kids that were just, oh, my goodness, physically uncoordinated. I had such a hard time with the physical stuff, but who were emotionally very very intelligent, yeah. and um, and then I've had other kids who are very physically skilled, but and not very emotionally leader. intelligent, or not very, um, uh, what was the third side of this we were talking about? Socially. Or not very socially intelligent, right? Don't know how to act around others very well. And so we'll keep them in my class. But more often than not, um, you know, people will get to move up to the traditional program before even finishing my program. Because our programs, her, between her program and my program for the kids, are so effective that most of the time, unless they just want to go to the end, there's no need for most students to go all the way to the end before they're already well-equipped with all the social, emotional, and physical skills that they would need for a traditional yeah. martial arts program. Yeah. Um, where they would work with older kids, bigger students, and stuff like that. And it's usually a big confidence booster. Like recently, I sent up three, like seven, eight year olds to the older class with the nines and ups. And they expressed to me that they were a little bit scared because they were going to be working with kids that were bigger than them. 
until the first time sparring the kids that were bigger than them. Then they came back to me and said, did you know I can outfight that kid that's that's got 40 pounds on me? Like, I can outfight that 10-year-old. Yeah, because I taught you the kickboxing skills in Tigers. That kid didn't learn from Tigers. He only started when he was nine and a half. So technically, you're more advanced than them. And then they get super excited that they can easily stop somebody a little bit bigger than them, a couple of years older than them. And it really boosts that confidence. And they, they know for sure that they can handle that situation. And then when they get that confidence, you know the funny thing? They get less mouthy. They get... They, they, they're less they likely, they become more emotionally stable. They're less likely to panic or freak out or overly react to anything once they hit that point that they realize that if they had to, if a bully that was a little bit bigger than was poking on, if they had to, that they could at least semi-effectively fight back, even if they took a hit or two and they knew they could take yeah. the hit, right? Yeah. So, which is something they learn as they go. And, um, and most of them are, are very much well prepared for that. So we have some great kids programs that move yeah. straight into our traditional programs. Yeah. And uh, the traditional programs, of course, everything you think of as a traditional uh, MMA sort of martial arts school, not like necessarily cage fighting. But in our martial arts studio, we don't just focus on sport. We don't just focus on kickboxing. We do kickboxing. We do grappling. We work on leg kick sweeps, takedowns, joint locks, joint manipulation, uh, and obviously traditional forms because I'm a huge proponent of them. A lot of people see them as interpretive dance, but what they're missing is a term called bunkai or hansul, which is application. Which is application. And the thing is, is the applications are really sneaky and extremely effective, usually in close quarters clinch situations. A lot of people see some of these techniques and go, that's not a, yeah, it is, if you use it in the right way. I'm sorry, you're getting mad at me. No, we've just been on for almost an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. So um, I didn't again, sleep last night, yeah, so I'm a little so over. So again, to wrap up, your kids are fine. Yeah, when they're fine. When your kids are in class. Exactly where they're at. They're, they're perfectly fine. fine. Let us coach. You motivate, you encourage, and, let us coach, and yeah. we will get them where they need Guys, to be. Guys, the quickest way to make your child insecure and not want to do an activity, it doesn't matter if it's basketball, football, baseball, or martial arts, or dance, or gymnastics, the quickest way to not to get your kid to not want to do, you, you go back and listen to our podcast, and you'll see it. The quickest way to get your kid to not want to do anything, we've talked about it before, is trying to coach them instead of letting your coach coach them. Because if you coach them and the coach coaches them, Who's there to support them when they feel bad for making mistakes or having trouble with something? They need support to motivate them to continue to try to improve. And if everyone's just giving them advice, they're going to quickly go, I stink at this, and they're not going to want to do it anymore. So, yes, your kid's fine where they're at. And if you're really worried about it, don't bring it up to your kids. Bring it up to us because we generally have ways to deal with it. So, quick story. I had a kid not that long ago. Uh, he was eight years old, but much like the size of most six-year-olds in my class, in my seven-year-old class. And he was very uncoordinated physically, but he was very emotionally and socially intelligent. And this kid was a phenomenal kid. Like, I loved this kid. But coordination and physical things, proprioception was not his strong suit at all. And his, I mean, if his parents, grandparents were really worried about it. And I said, look, he's fine exactly the way he is, but... If you really want him to improve in this way faster, I could give you some things to do at home, but why don't you come to our Friday sparring class? I don't usually offer tigers and the younger ones to come to this sparring class on Fridays because it's mostly adults, but certain ones I will because they just love to spar and you can't keep them away from it. Uh, certain ones I will. And um, they began to come to Fridays for a little bit. Uh, I think they did it for like a month, month and a half. And she came back to me and was like, within three of those sparring classes, and he loves sparring, by the way, 
even though he was physically uncoordinated. So within three of those classes, DC, they would we would sometimes put him with adults, and the adults would just get down on their knees and let them work combinations on them and show them how to use them and stuff like that. Within three of those classes, that kid's coordination jumped by like a 50% improvement. I mean, within three weeks. So we have ways, if it's really a concern to you, like if we know they're fine developmentally, we're not gonna, we're gonna like obviously push them a little at a time, but we're not gonna do anything special outside of the norm. But if it's really bothering you, you'd be surprised what tools we have at our disposable, that dis- disposal that you may not know about that can help them a little extra in that regard and we'll be happy to use those tools yeah. to help you out. Your kids are fine. Kids are fine. Don't freak out. Don't be disappointed in them if they have a bad day. Don't Don't be be disappointed if they're frustrated or angry because so-and-so took their toy or they didn't get to do what they wanted to do or things didn't work out the way they wanted to work out. Don't you get frustrated for the exact same reasons? And how would you like it if someone came to you and went, look, you have no reason to be frustrated. You need to enjoy the rest of your day. And I'm tired and sick of hearing your attitude and you being all upset about everything. So you need to just cheer up and get over it. You wouldn't want someone talking like that to you. Now I know what he thinks about me all the time. <laughs> anyway, we have been on here for way too long. Thank you for listening to you. That's because we're good talkers. That we are. We're good talkers. Um, this has been my... Even though I don't my, think anyone is still alive I don't know. This is my mostly my soapbox, so I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, and again, your kids are fine. They're loved. They're supported. Whether they're at your home or they are here at the dojo, trust me, we want the best for them just like you do. So... Until we see you again, be the best teammates you can be. Sorry, I read a comment. And, and be, be the, the best, best at being you. Did you see that one from Doug? No. Most people shouldn't expect me to remember anything. My not. Teammate Radio is brought to you by Peaceful Warriors and Teammate Children's Stories, available on Amazon. We are Peaceful Warriors!